Alright, so we're in Allentown. We're going to Emmaus. That's right. Was he advocate central? Correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks like the living is pretty good out here. Like, there's more lawn space per plot of land. It's, it's nice. You know, it's a... Allentown's a small city, but you can get into the country really, really quickly. Uh, you know, I can take my hunting dog out and be in the woods and hunting in about 20 minutes from my house, or in uh, 90 minutes I can be having brunch in New York. So that's that's you know on a Sunday morning with no traffic. And we're also close to the Appalachian Trail here, right? Yeah, really close. Yeah, the, the Appalachians pass right through here. Uh, this is just maybe North 30, Appalachia. 30 minutes you could be there. <laughs> Uh, which is kind of crazy because when you think Allentown, you don't think Appalachia so much as, uh, well, I guess you still have that Billy Joel problem. Yeah, the Billy Joel thing was, was not uh, good PR for the city. Interestingly, uh, you, you know, the song was really modeled after uh, Bethlehem, which is the neighboring city where Bethlehem Steel uh, was in production and name Bethlehem has some other connotations that go along with it, so I think uh, Billy Joel just opted to plug Allentown in there for this uh, purpose of artistic license. Tough break. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Living here in Bethlehem sounds like maybe shading Jesus a little too hard. Exactly. All right, here we go. The Appalachia Road Trip from 2019 is now joining the public feed of the trip. Let me take you back. It was late spring, and even before COVID, I had always been like Snake Plissken trying to escape from New York. Because America is still the beautiful, because I'm raising children in a big city, and every once in a while, for the good of their minds and their bodies, we decided, again, this was pre-COVID, to rent a car and dive into the interior, smell the mountain air, let them kick the tires on farm life while I drink brown liquors close to where those liquors are born. The next four weeks, we will be on that road trip through Appalachia, and for all the 14-hour flights and far-flung travels that this show had brought me, I really loved this journey. It took me to Asheville's Master of Spanish Cuisine, to a mountain cabin with an alleged moonshiner and an old friend of mine in Western Virginia, to a leader of Appalachian food culture in West Virginia. But first, we started, as I often did when escaping New York City, in Allentown with my old friend Jeffrey Lindenmuth, the executive editor of Whiskey Advocate and one hell of a qualified drinking buddy. We sat in his offices in nearby Emmaus and did a morning blind tasting of bourbon and were better men for it. This is Nathan Thornburg, and from Roads and Kingdoms, this is The Trip, drinking with exceptional people around the world. So, Jeffrey, tell me where we are. Uh, we're in the Whiskey Advocate Emmaus office location in Pennsylvania. Emmaus, Pennsylvania. Home, surprisingly, of, of a number of... Um, I mean, a lot of magazine making happens in Emmaus. Well, pound it, for it, pound. it used to, yeah. Um, so, you are now the last magazine. The last national magazine being published in Emmaus. The last one I know of in Emmaus. You have kindly decided to uh, make an exception to your regular whiskey tasting protocol because that usually happens in the office on the west side of Manhattan with a panel of esteemed tasters. 
Taste, yeah, that's right. Well, we don't get many visitors in a mass, so uh, you, you know, I thought we could make an exception for you. Uh, we're not going to do an official tasting. You're right. Our, our tasting all happens in the New York office because we have a tasting coordinator, and we receive samples there, and we have a, a panel of uh, myself and some of the other editors that taste the whiskeys blind, meaning we don't know what they are, and uh, we don't discuss them. We record our notes. We record our scores, and uh, that's what goes into the magazine. So this is fucking science. Like you're, this is a, a scientific panel of experts assigning a number, and that's why it's so specific in the way that you do it. Yeah, I mean, I think the buying guide. Uh, you know, if you don't get anything else out of the magazine, the buying guide for us, as well as Wine Spectator and Cigar Aficionado, which are our sister magazines, that's really that's how we earn our keep. You know, it's, it's the integrity of the buying grind and the integrity of the ratings that's most important to the readers. Now, as a feature magazine writer, isn't it the feature articles? Isn't it the, uh, you know, the new, the new travel section that you have coming up with uh, featuring the best whiskey cities on earth? Well, we get good feedback on that and we put a lot of love into it. But, you know, the buying guide is a lot of heavy lifting, just getting the samples, rating and scoring the whiskeys. And sometimes they're tasted multiple times. If there's something that is an anomaly or that we're uncertain about, we can market retaste. So if there's a whiskey that's you know known to be high quality and it doesn't do well, um, it's not it's not that we want to change the score, but we want to retaste it and say you know let's be certain that we're making the right call here. Let's give it a fair shake and and establish some consistency. I love that. I, I I've got a. An image of myself at the tracks bar underground at Penn Station, just sliding a note across the bar to the tent bartender, and just says, "Retaste." <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe, maybe maybe revisit would be good in that context. <laughs> revisit. I'd like to revisit that yeah. whiskey. Now, it's a, it, the real crux of that is whether that's a complimentary retaste, which I, I don't believe exists in the actual bar world. But you guys have the have the the fortune in in your uh, place of. Uh, of just kind of drowning in whiskey. <laughs> well, we, we make an effort to taste everything that's released, really. Right now, there's so many craft whiskeys coming out. That's really the deluge, is, is the craft distillers are just flooding us. And, uh, you know, they're putting out a lot of young products in some cases and, and, and just throwing a lot of things at the wall. And the diversity and, and breadth of quality there is much greater than in traditional American distillers. So is that a nice way of saying there's some real shit ones out there and there, some real great there, ones? There, there are, yeah. There's there's some of both for sure. So how many are we talking about? How many whiskey brands do you think there are in the country now? Oh God, I mean the number of craft distillers I, I know is uh, probably around fifteen hundred, but that they're not necessarily all making whiskey. So I, I don't know in terms of brands. I, c- I wow. couldn't guess. Okay, but more than one man could safely drink in in a given year. <laughs> Once yeah, you get to it, just just at our whiskey fest events, uh, which we hold four times a year, we typically have always over three hundred, break like three fifty even. And, and that's just one night of great whiskey drinking. How do you avoid, like, just despair? <laughs> I mean, more generally, if you want to talk about that. Uh, but just in the face of so many, uh, so many whiskeys, all of which must be somewhat kind of bunched on the spectrum somewhere. And the idea of cataloging and categorizing and, and uh, 
assigning a numerical value to that world must just be kind of overwhelming. Yeah, it can be. And, you know, certain categories um, are much more narrow on the spectrum. You know, uh, scotch, for instance, you can have smoky, heavy scotch. You can have more delicate scotches. So, so there's a pretty big breadth of flavor in writing a scotch note. In, in the New York office, we do a lot of rye and a lot of bourbon. And all bourbon is at least 51% corn. It's all aged in new oak barrels. It's all, you know, almost all is uh, around four years plus of age. So when you're trying to slice and dice bourbon, it's like some days you're just like, wow, these are so similar. Like, I, I, how many times can I write caramel and vanilla on this page? But those are sort of the hallmarks of bourbon. And the, and the trick is to try to pull out and discern the other nuances and the things that really make it special. So if I'm trying to make it through to the top of your bourbon list, do I need to just chuck some cardamom in there to stand out? Or you're still going to, you're just going to find the best vanilla note. The ones that rise to the top are the ones that uh, offer complexity, right? Cause you're, if it's, it's, re- if it's really simple to sort of dissect and deduce the flavors, it's like, okay, there's good quality of that. That's a good bourbon, but to rise to the top, it needs to be, sublime you know it needs to serve up something different every time you smell it every time you put your nose to that glass it's different there's so much to discover you put water in and it changes and then it's this sort of uh intangible thing that you just go this this bourbon is somehow magic it's it's balanced it's complex it's got more to give than what your basic 20 dollar bourbon might so when you come out with your rankings and your ratings, I'm thinking of like a chart. You're charting the ranking and you're charting the price. Like how similar is that line? Uh, that, that's a good question. I mean, surprisingly, they run pretty parallel. And and when we're tasting, we do not know the price. I mean, there could be a $700 bottle of bourbon in the flight, and there has been, and there could be a $30 bourbon. And we don't know the producer, we don't know the price, we don't know the proof. We Really, all we know is sort of these are six bourbons or these are six ryes. That's about the extent of it. And most of our tasters could tell that without even being told, really. But we, we, we Otherwise, they shouldn't be at the yeah, table. Yeah, we're, we're sort of uh, uh, briefed on what we're tasting that day. And that's about everything we know. Um, so that $700 bourbon gets no bonus points for being $700 or being rare. Right, and rarity is, that's that's also a driver of cost, but not necessarily of flavor. Like, you could have a rare, an exquisitely rare, deeply shitty bourbon. <laughs> like, there's only one of this really crappy bourbon um, available. Well, you, you know where that happens often um, is with really old whiskeys, especially very old bourbons, are not really to my taste, or a lot of our tasters, they tend to be too woody and taste really tired. There, there's some excellent bourbons uh, still at 20 years of age, but there are bourbons being released that are over 20 years of age that I don't especially like. I, I can taste immediately. This is this has seen better days. This is over the hill. And is that because distillers sucked back then, or no? It's because it's been in the barrel too long. Okay. And and so age equals cost, and age equals rarity. But there is diminishing returns where age doesn't always equal greatness. All right. Well, we have a tasting here. Yeah. So that this is a little simulation of a, a blind tasting okay. that we normally do in New York. Uh, I just had our, our managing editor 
pour a couple samples for us and uh, I thought we'd taste through. Beautiful. All right, so tell me tell me what we got. We have three, we've got three. We've got three bourbons here. Okay, see. I don't, I don't know what they are. I'm glad that you told me they were bourbons because so I. Keep your glasses in order. Okay. We normally do a, around six in the New York office, but uh, in, in a flight, we, we would have typically six lined up. Also going in blind as far as procedure. When we started tasting blind in house, it, it, it took a lot of time to say, well, like what's comfortable for a whiskey evaluator and tasting panel to taste should we so we tried three and said we can do more we tried 15 and said that's far too many so what we you know we kind of came to a consensus that uh six is a, a good number for us to compare we'll always have a benchmark where we actually know that whiskey and that score oh no shit yeah so that's sort of like a calibration bourbon we don't have that here Okay. Um, but we would we would normally have a bourbon that or, or, or a comparable whiskey tuning and calibrating your palate. It's like your it's like your room tone for whiskey. Exactly. Yeah. And you drink that first. We have we have that available uh, throughout the tasting for comparison. So I can say uh, you, you know so I know I know this whiskey is in the same field and it scored eighty eight points. Got it. And 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 now I can sort of compare where I need to and say is this superior or inferior to that whiskey is it always the same calibration whiskey no it's different every time okay always different yeah got it you don't want to live in a world where you're always doing mictors as your north star absolutely not no the, the the tasting coordinator puts a lot of thought into that aligns the flight aligns the calibration whiskey to it and these are the glasses that we use we also as part of that experimented with a, a lot of different glasses to see you know what's served up the the most concentrated and intense and accurate flavors. So these are Glencairn glasses. This is the nosing glass that our, our tasters most preferred. So we've kind of come up with a system that works really well for us. So these are branded New York Whiskey Fest, uh, which is one of your Whiskey Fest. Yeah, events. this is also the the glass that everyone who goes to Whiskey Fest tastes with. Got it. And it's a nosing glass. It is. It's a it's a Glencairn is the producer, and we order them by the like tens of thousands, you know, uh, every, every whiskey fest gets its own. Yeah. And, and we actually tried, um, rocks glasses, expensive Riedel glasses, all kinds of things as we were setting up our, our blind tasting regimen. And this is the one that our tasters like most. Um, and so by nosing, you mean you're actually supposed to be able to stick your nose in there. Yeah. So, so you see by the, by the shape, this sort of thistle shape. Yeah. Um, what that does is, you know, we swirl, and that gives you some surface area of, of the liquid on the glass. And then the aromas are concentrated in the, in the smaller mouth. Mm. Now, I, I got to ask you, I mean, not to get deeply into eugenics here, but you and I share kind of uh, Germanish bloodlines. We've got uh, our kind of uh, uh, prominent European noses that we could get pretty far into this <laughs> cup. Now, my Asian brothers and sisters have different facial structure. My children also have... Uh, wider, flatter noses. Are they going to have a different tasting? I mean, she's 13. She's not going to be tasting whiskey right now. But will a nosing cup, is this a Caucasian cup that we're using here? I I don't think the cup has a, a, a preference. <laughs> As I said that, I stuck my Caucasian nose so deep in this that I had to cough. Yeah, these, the are, these are... Fumes came uh, back. <laughs> I don't know the proof on them. I don't know what they are. I don't know the proof. Uh, but they're not cut with water at this point, so... Appro approach with caution they, they could they could be 
anywhere from you know the the minimum uh, 80 proof up to the barrel strength, which could be 120 or something. And I should say, I, <laughs> Jesus, I am no professional whiskey drinker. People, I'm I'm losing my shit over here just from the fumes alone. The fumes is not a word. That sounds a little pejorative. He wouldn't use that. What, what would uh, you we would say aroma, but but yeah, you, you're you're definitely detecting alcohol coming off of here. Yeah. So so these are you know room temperature, warm, neat whiskeys, and that alcohol is is lifting off. I I will say not as a tasting note, but one thing these three all have in common is they're all breakfast whiskeys because it's still eleven something in the morning. Uh, so. Yeah, we we usually in New York schedule our tastings in the afternoon towards the end of the day, um, but it's not unusual when you're traveling to have to taste in the a.m. Hmm. A, a lot of our friends out there are in recovery or uh, sobered up for various reasons. I mean, I guess it's the same question bartenders have to ask themselves: like, how do you be in this business in a world where some of us and and uh, some of the best of us have alcohol addiction problems how does a an organization like whiskey advocate deal with alcoholism as as a i know i'm really bringing the conversation down here but you know as a as a thing that exists in the world uh and how do you how do you manage that you know we promote responsible drinking for sure and i think you don't last long in the industry if you're not capable of that you know i'm, I'm surrounded by whiskey at the office and i have never just cracked a bottle of whiskey and had a whiskey during the day for for no reason and and most days I don't drink whiskey, um, you, you know. So it's uh, so you got to you can recognize that in yourself. You're just like, fortunately, I'm one of the people who can be around just piles and piles of cocaine and just not do a bunch of cocaine. <laughs> I mean, Cocaine Advocate was one of my favorite magazines coming up in South Florida, but. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting, and I know I've been listening to uh, the guys from Joe Beef in Montreal talk about they're both in recovery. But they have great wine programs hmm. and like figuring out how to uh, how to taste wine and do it in a way which other people who are sober now are like that's insane. <laughs> they're still out there like tasting and spitting, tasting and spitting. Huh? Yeah, yeah, but. Uh, but there's nobody in this business that's like a whiskey taster and spitter because they're in recovery, but still have that really honed palate. I mean, I, I, I spit at the office and I'll, I'll spit these. Oh, you will? Yeah, for sure. Okay. They're going right in my coffee cup there. Is that why we got the coffee cups? Well, no, we had the coffee cup because <laughs> I needed a cup of coffee, but it's, it's going to double as my spit cup today. Boy, you're going to make the world's worst Irish coffee. <laughs> this, is like, this is like the frat hazing version of an Irish coffee. <laughs> I got all these great bourbons and I spit them into my coffee for you. So do, right. do you want to tell me what you, what you smell on these? And, and what we normally do, um, you know, I, I, I nose them. I usually nose them all first. Okay. I, I would I would nose them, uh, sort of jot down my first impression, and then I would take a, a small sip of each. Again, just progressing through, take a small sip of each at its natural strength to sort of see how it presents. And then uh, we have water here. I would then add water, which actually what it does is releases aromas, and it would also help you a lot by by cutting down that hot ethanol burn that you're getting. Yeah, right. Yeah. So and, add, so adding water will help eliminate that and you'll get and I'll you, be you'll you'll like, be less focused on the ethanol and, and able to focus more on the, the flavors. Okay. 
A lot of master distillers, when they taste, I mean, they, they dilute heavily. They might dilute this with uh, equal amount of water. Oh, shit. Yeah. Because then they can really dive straight into the, the flavor it's, of it. Exactly. It's going to really show if there's anything but funky you, going on or anything great going on. But, but you know, it will show the flaws. Whiskey as one of these kind of, you know, Ron Swanson-esque, you know, loci of, of man codes, you know, like... This is something where it would not be unusual to have somebody mansplain to you that whiskey should always be drunk neat or, you know, always with a single chiseled ice cube or something. Do you, <laughs> do you at Whiskey Advocate, like, do you have a code that you, uh, that, that, that you endorse and uh, enforce? No, not at all. I, I drink it all sorts of ways. And, and many master distillers um, drink their whiskey with ice or, or drink it with water. That's not unusual at all. And, you know, people that like to lecture on those those finer points of consumption i one i disagree with and and secondly i I think it's unfounded because most whiskey has water added to it before it goes in the bottle unless it's barrel proof you know that whiskey didn't just happen to appear at uh 43 alcohol right that wasn't a random thing water has been added to that whiskey to go into the bottle and the vast majority of whiskey is cut with water to a specific proof. So I don't think adding more water is anything that hasn't already been done. Take that, Ron Swanson. All right. So I'm going to give you some, some nosing notes. Okay. One, two, three, from left to right. Number one, this is going to be the worst word cloud ever. Pine? Mm. Yeah, I get that. Is that yeah. possible? Just some like... Um, yeah, pine and resin. I mean, I I clearly get a lot of oak on this. This is, you know, wood forward. Got it. So it's another kind of tree I was looking for. <laughs> Different tree. No, well, you can also get like pine needle and pine resin and forest floor kind of things happen a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, this definitely has oak, sort of a chocolatey oak type note. And, and, you know, it's very typical bourbon. And parsing the flavors in bourbon is a little tricky. Uh, you know, because they're quite similar. Yeah, because they're all right. You're you're in one kind of the forest. All right. That's. I mean, and do you also get sweetness? Like, there's clearly sweetness there. There's some some dense like caramel and cracker jack, flan, some flan, pine flan. This is my. <laughs> the pine is there. There's sort of like herbal. There's an herbal quality to it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Fresh like herbs. I mean, okay. Let's take a quick nose on two. Nose on too. Mm. Now th- this smells more mature to me. This has um, this very uh, sort of like a varnish note. I, I often call it like wood shop. So there's like <laughs> wood, and then there's this this varnishy type thing. That, right. Yeah. This that definitely. I that I equate with age. There's also uh, I think some a lot of flower here. Like I'm getting both like rose water and, and lavender, and some spice too. A lot of baking spice. Your nose has a wider vocabulary than mine does. And I, overall, I, I just get the impression of some, some density, too. Do you feel like the, the flavor and the, the aromas, are, they're just sort of hanging a little heavier here? Right, and it's also, I, I don't, I'm thinking it's less open. It's like, it's like a little bit, you know, this one is kind of punching you yeah. a little bit, and this one is like hiding, hiding at the bottom of this uh, nose and cup here. You'll see what happens when we, when we put water in. That will change. All right, we're going to number three. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. My coughing uh, is clearly a part of my whiskey tasting hmm. style. 
<laughs> Dude, this. Yeah, this, I, um, I think this has some real fruit drive to it. Like, I would say I get some marmalade and, and a little bit more tropical, almost some, uh, like, grilled pineapple quality here. This is Caribbean bourbon. Fascinating. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh-oh. You started to taste. Yeah, I had to taste that one. To see if you were your nose was lying to you. Does you, it ever it's, happen? It's, it, like, yeah, that happens a lot. And actually, that's uh, you know that's something that I would normally dock a whiskey for. Is you know I think a good whiskey should have some consistency, and it's sort of like the the nose is the promise, or and and the flavor needs to keep it. So if it if it doesn't follow through on the flavor, or it's in, if it has a great nose and then the flavor's a letdown, I'm like, oh man, that's a bummer. It just breaks, right. your, breaks your heart. You got to take a take a few points off and say this doesn't deliver on what the nose promised. It, it should feel consistent from aroma to flavor to finish. It should feel like well stacked and every, and everything follows through. That's I don't know if that's happening here. Well, let's let's get into the tasting and then. All right. Right. So, so we nosed one. We'll taste it, and then uh, I guess just for the sake of time, let's take a little sip and eat, and then you can pour a little water into. All right, let's do it. Mm. Oh, that's nice. It's quite, it's quite oaky. Do you get a lot of oak dryness on this? Yeah, I'm starting to back down from my pine. I feel like we are more um, uh, more deciduous. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and you know it's funny. When we taste, we don't discuss because you can be easily influenced by other people's opinions. So, oh. so we, so this, so this is not what we would normally do. We all write down our, our notes and keep it private, and write down our score and keep it private, and then we evaluate after. But this is you know just for our exercise. Um, and and now I am. And that smelling, would make a pretty shitty podcast if we just like all you hear is it, us. We were just quiet and being silent you for could twenty do, minutes. That's what that's what the tasting's like. Yeah, it would be you know just pens scribbling frantically for two hours and then. Every, every now and then, you know, there'll be that just like subtle giveaway uh, where someone's tasting and they're like, oh, and, and uh, you look over and like, oh, yeah, they're, they're like having a moment with glass number five over there. You know, that's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's there's, there's like I know I know exactly what what they're what they're tasting right now. That's glass five because it's just magic blowing everybody's mind. Uh, that's a That's a trip. Keep your keep keep your sex noises down during tasting. Oh, we, we, you know, you keep your poker face. We, you know. All right, so we're right. gonna we got a little bit of that oak. We're gonna add some water. Mm. That's gonna open it up. This is great. I like this. It's it's got it's got a fair amount of oak and and solid wood there. It's real dry with oak mm. in the finish, but it's also long. It's got sweetness that just really glides along. I don't know what this is, but but I like it. I think the water is giving more of that um, pine bow and herbal quality now on the nose. Yeah, that's nuts. So water will will react differently with different whiskeys. I, mean, um, I would say di different wh whiskeys react differently to water, and generally, what we see is whiskeys that are are higher proof react really well to water because it's it's like it's almost like they're thirsty for the water. You know, they haven't they haven't been cut to proof for the barrel. So they're kind of craving that water, I think, sometimes. And, and you give it a drink, and it just, like, opens up and shows all these other flavors. Whereas adding water to a whiskey that's only 80 proof, I think, can often hurt it. And it will sort of just fall apart. That's interesting. Thirsty whiskey. Mmm. That's really good. 
nice, nice sort of chewy citrus oils. Yeah, and that keeps going. And wood too. on the finish. Yeah, it's not like that first kind of, you know, that first hit, then kind of goes long. Now, is that something that you're also looking for? Always like something that is taking you on some sort of few different notes as it goes down. Is that a is that a universal like quality that you're searching for in whiskeys? Or sometimes it could be a great first hit and then it's gone, and that's also a good whiskey. Um, I think length is good. You know, long long finishes are generally more rewarding than short finishes. Long finishes certainly complex that's a hallmark just like complexity you know you want complexity you want a long finish you want uh consistent follow-through on flavor beautiful all right let's Try go to two. number two hmm this t- this um tastes older to me i think and and you'll you'll probably hear i sort of almost like chew it a little bit you know it's nice to get some air in your mouth so you take a sip And then kind of give it one of those, like get some air in there and chew it a little bit. In Kentucky, they call that the, the Kentucky chew. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Get your get your bourbon in there and give it a give it a good chew. Smack your lips a little bit. Man, that is that is mouth sounds 101 right there. You, the listener, are, are lucky to be in on that Kentucky chew. <laughs> Usually I'm trying not to make those sounds in the mic, but... <laughs> But I, 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 I see what you're saying. Because it's, it's like air and water are both doing different things. Absolutely, yeah. And it's fun to play with. You know, sometimes I also, while I have the whiskey in my mouth, and I'm taking a smell at the same time. So you're getting it just like coming through your senses in all these different ways. It's up in your nasal passage. It's in the back of your mouth. I th- I, this feels older to me, both with the varnish note and also... Uh, it's it's got real dryness and I think sort of a tobacco leaf type right. quality. It's a little more tar or something in there. Right? Yeah. Because it's so dry, it, it finishes a bit shorter than the last one. I don't think it rides right quite as long. Yeah, you're totally right. It's like it's done, it's gone. It's not bad, but now you wouldn't be talking about it in the middle of a professional blind tasting, but can I just say that I like the number one better? Sure. Like I said, I think this whiskey uh, feels older, and and we try to put that. It's not just about the score because some people really, really like old whiskey. You right. Know, you, you know, really heavily oaked, dry, leathery, ancient whiskeys. They're not necessarily to my taste, but we we try to portray that in the tasting note because some people love that style you know there's going to be people that enjoy different different tastes now there is a thing you know where they say no person can quite know how the color blue actually looks to another person Hmm. do you feel like that's the same way for tasting like that although you can come up with similar scores or maybe have similar reactions that that there is something that's so individual in the way that somebody tastes a whiskey that you'll never quite know how that works or have you spent so many times saying chocolate? Yep, chocolate. That you're like, yeah, this is a universal sense. Yeah, now we're getting into like portrait of the artist as a young man stuff or something. You know, what's the, <laughs> what, what, where does perception lie? And and that's true. There's there's obviously a plane of perception out there. We can agree on what blue is, and we can agree on what chocolate is, but it doesn't mean we all perceive it the same. I do find in our tastings, I, I think. 
something really interesting that comes out when you taste with a group of people through hundreds and hundreds of whiskeys is you start to find not only personal likes and dislikes, but also sensitivities. You know, some of us are, are like, oh, soap. I get, I get soap on that, like, huge turnoff. You know, I, I can't take it. And other people are like, yeah, I think it's more like flowers. I'm okay with it. Yeah. Um, but, but we definitely have our own little biases and also, uh, you know, I think true sensitivities to, to what people... I have heard that there's this monstrous group of people who can't eat cilantro. Oh, yeah. Tastes like incredibly soapy. Right. Yeah. And that yeah. for me is uh, so confounding. Like, I just never see any of that soap. I think it's fucking great. So I guess it's that same thing with whiskeys. Like, somebody will have a note that there's just like, that's their that's their their their, their weakness, like they're in their palate. They just can't. It'll just overrun it. And then how do you like adjust and judge for exactly, that? Exactly. Yeah. So, so that's one one woman's amazing whiskey is another woman's like bucket of soap. Yeah. So so we you know make you learn about yourself and you learn about your tasting preferences and and, and your biases and and we try to look at the whiskey from uh, a big picture viewpoint and, and put those aside to some degree and and judge it with some kind of now, objective you, quality. Do you have a bias that you? that you measure for mm. you're pretty middle of the road i have i have some challenges with, with you know particular brands that i can recognize the whiskey instantly really? and, and they have uh estuary components that don't appeal to me so i try Est- to I, estuary yeah you know a, a lot of um what does that mean well es- esters is a, a broad category of of flavors that develop during fermentation um, you know, they're highly aromatic components and there's, uh, there's some whiskeys with distinctive like bubble gum and banana esters that, and taffy that sort of, I can identify them right away in my mind. I don't like that whiskey, but I try to be fair to it. Knowing that there's a market for bubble gum and taffy and yeah. whiskey yeah. out there and that, Absolutely. and that you, you, you shouldn't preclude them from having their, yeah. their, there's their people big that, scores. There's people that love it. All right, let's go to number three. Yeah. Here's that Kentucky chew. Mm. <laughs> wow. That, I'm feeling the burn. That's why you went that quick to the water too, right? That's a, um, right? Isn't that, that feels, or am I just getting weak, weaker um, through this session? Let me see. That feels like a stronger whiskey to me. I don't. I don't know that it's higher in proof. I don't think so. It's. It, okay. it feels a little more light bodied, and it's more on the. This is this is, more on the fruit side. I think less oak driven. This has got um, there's some like wet walnut quality in there. I like that nuttiness. Wet walnut. That's a great band name. What does that mean? You know, wet walnuts. You never have wet walnuts. You put put on your ice cream, no, like sure. those those walnuts that are in. Caramel, sugar syrup, whatever it is. That's a wet walnut. Yeah, it sounds like a, it sounds like a, a you know, like a hazing prank you do in a gym or something. Dude, give me a wet walnut. All right. Well, this might be some Pennsylvania stuff that I don't know about, or maybe I just you're no? just deprived as a child, man. What do you put on your on your vanilla ice cream? I mean, you could put walnuts on there. I just never heard it a wet walnut. I, I also get like some uh, sugar smack cereal. 
that that sugar honey smack so it's like a little that little like puffy grain thing with like a nice honeyed sweetness god damn you 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 find you refer to a lot of uh childhood candies and and memories that's really a fun part of it you know like Woodshop is a is a, a cool thing for me, or or cedar chest, or you know, once in a while something really floral. I'll smell like you know old lady perfume, like going to church as a kid, and like lots of old lady perfumes mixed in in the in the in the room. God, that's amazing. I would I would pay good money just to have you just break off haikus about different tasting notes and what it relates to. Because again, I'm kind of you know I'm sort of stuck in whiskey here. And you're time traveling, moving across, you know, brands and experiences and olfactory memories in a way that is, uh, that's pretty impressive. And I guess you just, you do it so much that you're able to go directly to a, a deeper memory bank. And also, how can you talk about sugars, <laughs> you know, right. without, without getting deep on them? Like, you can't just say, yeah, this is a little sweet, which is kind of... The, you know, the bullshit that's running through my mind, you know, I, I, it's, it smells oaky and sweet. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's what it is at the surface. But then we say, okay, so what kind of oak is it? Is it like cedary, like a cedar shingle oak? Or is it, um, you know, like a, a freshly sawn sawdust from my eighth grade shop class oak? Or is it um, like a dusty, earthy, you know, uh, attic floor plank oak? Um, you know, those are sorts of the, the, those are common things that I, that I smell and think of. You know how I'd want to hear doing a whiskey taste is like a Bjork or something. <laughs> she feels like she'd whip out some like very, yeah, just two, from the deep cabinet of her. Two uh, is really sensors. interesting. Um, you know, it's got that, that varnish and almost like, a adhesive tape kind of, kind of note. Not super phenolic, like Band-Aid, like some scotches get, but I get a little bit of, of adhesive or or model cement, but it, it's in a good way. It's like it's at a threshold that it's enjoyable. It's not over the top. Like if it, it was just pure, crazy, like tube of model cement and, you know, roll of adhesive tape, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be good. It would be a turnoff to me. But when it's there in just the right amount with, you know, sugar and oak and other things still at the front and then you get these other little sort of sprinkles of flavor and punctuation then it's really exciting wow it's interesting also that you can talk about something that you are enjoying ingesting and use things to describe it that are definitely not thought of as pleasurable i mean it's that it's that trope i don't even know how true this is but somebody's always saying that you know all perfumes have some base of like fecal aroma mm. As like that that's a part of your kind of there's something about humans that's not that different than dogs. It's like we're kind of into that scent. We don't want to talk about it. We don't even know about it. But so when you say cement glue, you're like, there's something about cement glue that's like, you know, that is appealing. Yeah, it's to it's, us. it's like note. exciting to your nose. Yeah. Like, can't you think of doing a model as a kid and, and you're like, wow, that smells really different and intense and kind of cool. We have a, a scotch taster who recently in his note uh, wrote Burning Hospital. And it's like, you know, I, I read it and I'm like, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. It's like, you know, 
band-aids and medicine and then like smoke and fire and, and have i ever been near a burning hospital no but it completely that's some dark it, shit completely, <laughs> completely evoked the right flavors this is, this is like whiskey tasting in 2019 take some dark turns <laughs> we've all got mayhem on the mm. mind that's amazing burning hospital and then did you get a did burning hospital whiskey which by the way would be a terrible brand for the whiskey but uh did it get a good score I don't recall the score, but I yeah, yeah. I think it did because those yeah. are those are very desirable flavors for that style of whiskey for peated scotch, right. you know, like phenols and band aid and and smoke and jalapeno. You know, those are right. Those are flavors that are put there with intention. Now, well, let's let's finish this tasting because I think I think we're close to declaring. Can we declare a winner? Can we do we put numbers on this? Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna score them uh here that's not something i would do this, i'm fucking this, with the this, man this ca- just casually yeah. yeah yeah um but i'm gonna give uh, it 180 20 there that's that's the level of my science here i um, mean i'll i'll say that yeah um, what, what, what can you tell us uh, legally about about these whiskeys well we, we can reveal them and find out what they are okay Let's do that. I'm going to say before we do that, and I get influenced by, you know, one being a Rite Aid, you know, white label whiskey, and the other one being, uh, I'm sure you put poured a bunch of Old Pappy for us or something. <laughs> but I, I don't know what they are. Um, I'm going to say number one is still my favorite. Yeah, one is excellent. Yeah. I think, I think one is my favorite as well. I think two is maybe a bit older. Three is, is also a very nice whiskey, but it's, it has, I think it has less complexity and less to offer it's, it's yeah. obviously well made um i'm feeling that but yeah one, one one is giving me love yeah i'm giving it back good for you one now who are you how do we find this out um we, we need to call melanie melanie managing editor only, all right. only she knows all right melanie it's, it's it's a little mini whiskey fest so so you poured us uh one two three bourbons what what's number one? Elijah Craig Barrel Proof. Yeah, I sort of thought Elijah Craig Barrel Proof. So this this is consistently a great whiskey, and uh, one one of them one of the batches. It's released batch by batch. One of the batches was our, our whiskey of the year, two thousand seventeen. It's really good. Uh, shout out to my buddy Sam Kim and Ricardo Gutierrez, who named their dog Elijah Craig. <laughs> out of intense do, do and they, enduring love. Do they love. have a nickname or they actually say, come Elijah Craig? I think, I think it's time. Elijah Craig. Yeah, it's, it's, it's biblical. Um, uh, so what's two? The Whitford Reserve Double Double Oaked. Mm. Double Double Oaked, yeah. all right. So I, I, I still think it has some age to it. I was reading this all this oak as age. It actually has extra oak all right, added. So, you know, I think we did say this had tobacco and, and a real dry oak quality to it woodford reserve double double oak is that what what's what does that even mean is that quadruple oak is that um what does it say on the bottle i think it i think it's in new barrels twice finished yeah so so it goes in new barrels and then it goes in more new barrels beautiful all right what about number three number three is early times bottled in bond huh early times bottled in bond what does that mean? It means it's a, a minimum of uh, 50%. Well, it's bottled at 50% alcohol. It's a minimum of four years old, and it comes from a single distilling season. Do you, do you have an idea of price on these? I think the Elijah Craig is about 60. So so you asked sort of about how price and quality align. Yeah. Um, you know, 
not nothing disparaging to early times, but I, th I think it was obvious that that didn't have the concentration right. and intensity of flavor of the others. So let's just see what we're looking at. It's a new affordable release from Brown Foreman. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it tastes affordable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting notes of affordability. <laughs> I, I mean, it, honestly, that's, that's um, you, you know, pretty, pretty much what I right. imagined. Um, and by the way, and, and let's hear it for affordable whiskeys. Not, not everybody needs to live in a, a world of uh, Hibiki 21, although I do enjoy visiting that world when possible. Uh, twenty two ninety nine for early times bottled in bond. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's twenty two, um, and that's a perfectly good whiskey for twenty two. That's probably like a, about what I, yeah, would have expected. Um, the 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 Woodford double double is also a Brown Foreman product. Uh huh. Um, so I guess I guess we could ask, you know, does this deliver more coming from the same producers? Um, yes, the flavor was definitely greater. The, there was a lot of wood there, and this is around $50. Oh, shit. Okay. And the number one, the Elijah Craig uh, Barrel Proof, is if you can find it, um, because people know that this over-delivers on, on price, is about $60. Oh, interesting. So I, in my, you know, I know I didn't assign scores to these, but in my opinion, my, my quality ranking aligned exactly with right. the pricing. Right. How about you? You you also chose the the most expensive and probably universally most admired one as your favorite. So kudos. Yeah. What is money? I've been having trouble with money anyway these days. So what is sixty dollars versus fifty versus twenty three? And you know that idea also of drinking less, <laughs> but drinking better. Yeah. Uh, is is always something in the back of my mind, uh, at least as I'm justifying going up the shelf <laughs> toward the top. Um, but, you know, and, and of course, a lot of it has to do, and that's what makes, that's what makes blind testing so interesting because, you know, marketing is such a huge part of the industry yeah. and the story that, uh, that a, a, a liquor tells about itself that gives us a story to tell about ourselves and that kind of combination, all of that is stripped away and kind of denuded and you're left with, you know, with what's on the palate. But I think as the marketers would know, and certainly an amateur like myself would identify with is like, um, there's, there, there are a lot of feelings and emotions tied up into an alcohol, uh, choice on some level that, mm -hmm. that go beyond taste. Um, but, but I think, you know, as you said, you're, you don't do this several times a week like I do. But I, I think as somebody who enjoys food and drink and has a good palate, you were pretty much in line, you know? Um, so they seem, what I've discovered in, in years of blind tasting is they actually seem to get it right more often than not. Like we don't find a lot of $22 bottles that are absolutely stellar and get 94 points. If that happens, that is a huge anomaly. So and that's where you slide it over and you're like retaste. And we say like, yeah, we got to be sure about yeah, this. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it typically doesn't happen. I mean, these align with the price and, yeah. and, and the guys who are making it 
Um, they know it. They, too. they, they know it and, right. and they, they get it right. And we don't find a lot of $700 bottles that score 85 points. Although that's more common. It's more common to find whiskeys that under deliver. Expensive whiskeys that under deliver are, are unfortunately much more common than affordable whiskeys that really over deliver. Right. But that's great because that's where you guys can be a line of defense for uh, for the whiskey drinker, yeah, or get keep people from making some tragic mistakes up uh, up the price chart. All right, well, I'm starting on this road trip through Appalachia. We've been drinking bourbons, which is like I'm going to go at least very near the heartland of uh, of some of that. What am I going to find in like West Virginian whiskeys versus Western Virginia versus Carolinian? Um, does does it even is there even a difference these days in terms of geography or people can kind of make any kind wherever they stand? Yeah, I mean, some people will tell you that Kentucky is is very special because of the, the water and the limestone shelf there. In my opinion, you know, whiskey is is cooking to a recipe. It's it's not uh, like wine. I mean, b- barley and corn can all be shipped and sourced. You know, you, you put together the grains, you mash it, water can be adjusted. You're able to follow a recipe and I think make whiskey as a distillate wherever you want. How it ages is probably the bigger change. Um, you know, being in warmer climates, chemical reactions are accelerated. Whiskey goes in and out of the barrel wood uh, more rapidly and, and more deeply. So that's why whiskey ages so differently in Scotland versus Kentucky because of the climate. But I think above all, um, the reason that 95% of the country's bourbon comes from Kentucky is just culture. That's where the heritage and the knowledge to create this lies. Right. So you can you can make a bourbon in New York State. Sure. To be a great bourbon or a lousy bourbon. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you could make lousy bourbon in Kentucky, but... Uh, they'd probably run you out of the state. <laughs> well, now, I mean, I, I have to say, like, uh, the, the audacity of your words and your psychic connective tissue that you make between, you know, uh, your past and your and your present and the whiskeys you're tasting is something that I'm lacking. But uh, I'm feeling slightly validated, at least in my general response. So this, this Elijah Craig, as you see, so this is a batch number A117, um, which means it was the first batch of the year released in January 2017 and the proof on this is 127 so that's maybe why you were scorching your nose hair a little bit on that on that, on that first whiff that's a real uh, that's a real whiskey there this takes water really well and in fact um, when Denny Potter was master distiller here uh, we named it whiskey of the year he came to the office and he was like oh yeah I, I, I love it with an ice cube I drink it I drink it I drink it on on the rocks you hear like, that, good, all you good haters? For you, good for you, man. That, yeah. It's good enough for the guy who makes it. It's good enough for me. And, yeah. I, and I love this on the rocks. How did you get into this? And I, you know, I, I should say I've known you for a very long time, long before you had this job. And I've known you as a, a connoisseur of things. <laughs> a man who just bought a, some kind of miter at auction because it was rare and special and now has to figure out how to get it from Allentown. These are the things that you're always up to. Uh, just like craft uh, to the nth degree. Like what made this job, editor-in-chief of Whiskey Advocate, a good fit for you? You, you know, as, as you know, Nathan, yes, I, I really love wine. I love food. I love whiskey. Um, 
but certainly Whiskey Advocate being with M. Shankin and part of that family is just a huge opportunity. You because know, they're like, part of Wine Spectator. Part of Wine Spectator, part of Cigar, you know, Cigar Aficionado and Wine Spectator as, as, our, as our siblings, you know, they, they own their category, right? And this was the opportunity for me to help Whiskey Advocate own the category and to bring service to people. I also have, you know, uh, like you, a big service journalism background many and many years putting in the uh, the good work uh with uh, yeah telling people how to live a little better yeah on and the margins yeah this is uh this is more fun than calculating nu- nutritional writing for men's health to be <laughs> honest but how is this whiskey going to give me my best abs that's what i really need to know <laughs> yeah we need the whiskey that that builds biceps and the world will beat a path to your door um beautiful Thank you, Jeffrey. Let's uh, let's clink glasses for some audio here. Let's clink our our favorite to Elijah Craig and to Jeffrey Lindmuth. Long may they prosper. Cheers, man. No way I'm spitting that out. The trip from Roads and Kingdoms is hosted by me, Nathan Thornburg. Emily Marinoff was our producer on this episode. Alexa Van Sickle was our editor. Taffy Mukanyadze, our consulting producer. Music by Dan the Automator, episode illustration by Daisy D, show artwork by Adele Rodriguez. Executive producers are me and Matt Goulding, also of Roads and Kingdoms. Next Thursday on this very feed, the road trip continues west and a little bit south through a tornado warning, as it turned out, to West Virginia's 180-year-old Lost Creek Farm, home to Mike Costello and Amy Dawson. I've known Mike as a writer ever since he appeared on Bourdain's West Virginia episode of Parts Unknown, and he's even better in person. We scoured the hills behind his farm for morel mushrooms and ramps, we cook, and he exploded a hundred myths or so about Appalachian heritage and culture over a couple bottles of excellent Hawknob cider. We will meet you there.